The season of Epiphany is characterized by light. It is by the light of the mysterious star that the wise men ones are led to Jesus, the light of the world. We hear about light this morning in our lesson from the Hebrew scripture, in the psalm, and again in the gospel reading. In the scriptures, light is the mode of God's presence, and in the epiphany of Jesus, God's light is made visible and available in the world. We live in a world where light is instantly available to us. Even in the wilderness, we have access to battery-operated lights and flashlights, or our handy iPhones in a pinch. Our ancestors knew the darkness better than we do and knew it to be saturated with the dangerous power of death. Those who walked in the night are vulnerable and exposed. They look to God, the source of light and life, for their safety and well-being. Psalm 27 speaks of this confidence and trust in God. Our God, who has acted faithfully for us in the past, may be depended to act for us in the future. The psalm is filled with affirmations of trust in the protective and saving power of God. It functions to remind us of the epiphany light and the star that guarded the Magi on their journey to worship the Savior of all humankind. The psalm also expresses trust in God in intimate and personal terms, confessing God's goodness and protection in the past. And finally, the psalm reminds us, gathered here in this place today, of our continuing need for this God of such wonderful grace. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom then shall I fear? For Matthew, the promise of Isaiah and the assertions of the psalm come true in the life and work of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is not just one more prophet, he, and he is more than a forerunner like John the Baptist. Rather, he is the light in the darkness. Jesus' birth was heralded by the rising of a great star, and he himself is light, God's own mega-light in the flesh. He has risen like the sun and shines upon people who were sitting in dark prison cells in the region and shadow of death. Jesus is light and will give light by his words and silences, by his actions and sufferings, and by his rising from death. And through Jesus, God begins to mount a great counterattack against all evil forces, against the darkness, against death and unbelief, against all unrighteousness infecting human life. And Jesus calls disciples. They do not come to him as in the Gospel of John, rather he seeks them out. The story of the call of Peter and Andrew, James and John is spare, to say the least. I don't know about you, but I have many questions that are left unanswered. Was this their first encounter with Jesus, or did they already know him? Did they really just leave their nets, not to mention family and fish, and go off with Jesus? We are not told these things, perhaps because they might detract from Matthew's purpose. 
The call to discipleship is placed here for a reason. Matthew wishes to emphasize that Jesus is light and brings light, great light, not only through his individual personal effort, but through, also through his community of disciples. He builds community and will not work alone. He called them and he still calls women and men to abandon old securities and old allegiances. He summons them to break free of old routines and join him as light bearers and as wooers of human beings into new dignity as children of the living God. The two green seasons of the church here, this shorter one when we count the Sundays after the Epiphany, and the longer one in the summer and fall when we count the Sundays after Pentecost, are times for us to consider the life of faith, our life of faith. And so it is a time to think about discipleship. It is not a liturgical accident that today, after Epiphany and Christmas, and before Lent and Easter, Jesus tells us to follow him. And our gospel readings in the week to come will be from the Sermon on the Mount. This is a sense in which we are being reminded in these weeks between Christmas and Easter that for all their wonders, neither of these great celebrations is sufficient to sustain us in the hard work of following Jesus during the daily ordinariness of our lives. The New Interpreter's Bible suggests that if we were to listen to a panel discussion by a cross-section of Christians on the question, how did you become a believer? We would hear a variety of interesting and edifying stories. Some would be stories of dramatic suddenness, others of slow and painful groping and struggle. Others would hardly relate to the question at all, but would never remember a time when they were unbelievers. Perhaps Matthew too knows of these varied stories, but dares to present them in this one picture. People become believers through the power of Jesus' word. They follow him because he has spoken to them, and his word generates faith. For Matthew, Jesus' call to discipleship was spoken not only to a few disciples in first century Galilee, but to the church throughout history. Jesus is the one that sows the word that produces good fruit. It is he who builds up the church. Matthew points to the one who, speaking, makes us disciples. Now maybe all this call talk seems long ago and far away, so I want to tell you about my friend Ron. Ron was on the staff at our seminary in Berkeley, the Church Divinity School of the Pacific. Ron wasn't a member of the faculty, though he had many lessons to teach us. Ron was the groundskeeper. An electrician by trade and a gardener by vocation, he cared both for the plantings and the plant of the seminary. We depended on Ron and his boss, Steve, for the thousand things that happened with buildings. It was Ron that I would call when something wouldn't work first in my dorm room and then in my apartment, or later in an office or meeting room. It was Ron who transformed the grounds of CDSP 
from being rather scruffy, and that's the kind word, to being an oasis of beauty in a busy urban area. Most importantly, it was Ron who always had a ready smile and a friendly hello, modeling hospitality and welcome for the seminary community. Ron would talk about how he had come to CDSP, how he got the call, and for him it was a telephone call offering him the job. But those of us who know him realize that his work at the seminary was the result of a deeper call, a call to use his gifts to up uplift and sustain the community in which he worked. Our lessons today offer us an opportunity to think about vocation and call, our vocation and call. And so I offer you a poem, which is a hymn text, a tale to think about how Jesus might be calling us. It's not the greatest poetry, but it works well uh, as a text for a hymn. You call to us, Lord Jesus, as once in Galilee, you called to James and Andrew, come now and follow me. They left their nets and followed and did not look behind. Lord, we like them will follow our life in you to find. You came to preach deliverance, to set the captives free, to heal the brokenhearted, to make the sightless see. Your ministry of mercy and justice is our task. Help us like true disciples to do the work you ask. You summon us to visions of what this world can be, of hope and peace and freedom for all humanity. For justice we will labor for every human soul till greed and hatred vanish and humankind is whole. The path you bid us follow is not an easy road and doubt or pain or conflict will sometimes be our load. Lord, grant us strength and courage to walk the way you trod till we behold in glory the radiant face of God. Amen. Amen.